to match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat children. Pray you talking about? You can really cut the camera off, nigga, and call my phone, punk. Take your little goddamn robe off and put your boots on and bring that ass. The fuck you talking about, nigga? Getting on camera, your life is over, your life is dirt. Nigga, my life won't be over when I'm jumping up and down on your ass like a trampoline, bitch. Fuck you talking about, nigga? You niggas think y'all tough because y'all show people y'all tough on camera. <laughs> yeah, nigga, my real nigga over the middle. Bitch, shut up, nigga. That ain't tough, punk. <laughs> Kwame Brown with the classic tough talk. Oh, my God. I don't know where you've been this week or if you've heard the news, but uh, number one draft pick back in, what, 2002, maybe 2001, NBA player Kwame Brown, former NBA player, no longer in the league, uh, has just been going off on people. And it's been fun to hear because... So many times back in the day, you know, there was no social media or no outlet for these players to really say how they feel. And, you know, people was just he was he was a punching bag. You know, everybody kind of made fun of it, mocked him. And now he's just been going off. But I love that. Like, we got to induct this man into the Tough Talk Hall of Fame. We're going to raise his jersey up into the Raptors, the number five Wizards jersey. It's one of the only players to get yelled at by both MJ and Kobe. Uh, he was drafted by Michael Jordan, which at the time, Michael Jordan wasn't playing in the NBA, I don't think, when he drafted him. And then Jordan unretired and came down to the floor, which is just like, I don't know if your boss, if you've ever worked with your boss, you know you don't want to work with your boss. So there's that. But this man has been unleashing some classic tough talk via his YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> Kwame Brown Bus Life, which is he's just embracing, okay, whatever, you know. And we forget, you know, a lot of these players, it's like, okay, you know, I didn't play that well, but I lasted 12 years in the league and I made $62 million. Those are his combined earnings. So just as he's saying there, I bought my mama a house. I'm a good old Southern boy. What the fuck could matter more than that? And I mean, Westbrook had to say it this year where he told one of these guys, I want to say Skip Bayless, I'm a champion at life. You know, fuck what happens on the court. Like, it's cool, but it's not life or death. Like, I want to win. But yeah, Kwame just took beatings for years from the media. And like I said, back in 2001, 2002, you know, there wasn't any outlet for him to ever say how he feels. So he just was a punching bag and punchline. Probably one of the bigger reasons why they stopped high school players from coming straight out. You know, and he pointed to the bigger reason. If you go to his YouTube channel, like, look, it was trying to keep, you know, us young black players making millions of dollars for these colleges and it was ruining the college game and they were losing money because we were going straight to the league. Now, granted, him and Kendrick Perkins <laughs> are two of the, I ain't going to say the worst players because I don't want Kwame coming for me, but two of the um, least developed straight out of high school players you could ever think of. Now, like I said, they both found a skill basically being goons, you know, and being big bodies and 
taking up space. But you do say, man, I wonder if they'd have went to college, if they'd have been better players. But once a guy made 62 mil, who could argue with that? And I think he's particularly pissed because he's going, wait, how are two former NBA players talking about me? So if you haven't heard the news, this all starts because Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson have a podcast called All the Smoke. And on there, they were joking about a trade that they were included in and the fact that Kwame Brown was a part of it. And they joked and said, well, only one player was really traded here. And, and you know, Matt Barnes is guilty of not even laughing, of just laughing. Didn't actually say anything but tap Steven Jackson's leg. And Kwame just saw that shit and went on a tear, which I get like, you know, it's almost like as comedians, you know, we we allow regular people to be offended and to 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 be, you know, write think pieces and blog about jokes they didn't like. But if we see a comedian doing it, it's like sacrilegious. So I get where Kwame's coming from. Uh, I, I do love him on here saying <laughs> Bring that ass, boy. I'm going to get up in that ass. It's like, yo, Kwame's got some real almost boondocks booty warrior ass quotes here. Classic tough talk. What's more classic than violating a man's manhood <laughs> for tough talk? If you were in prison, this wouldn't this type of talk wouldn't fly, though, Kwame. Like here he is referring to Matt Barnes as Becky with the good hair. Which has been making me laugh uh, for like a week now. Uh, Kwame. With the classic tough talk, man. Becky with the good hair being Matt Barnes. You know, Matt Barnes is kind of light-skinned. She told him earlier in the week, yeah, you should be taking people's girl like Drake, you bitch. (laughs) Instead, you out here getting your girl took. And it's just like, damn. This man is uh, upset, <laughs> clearly. Hey, I, will, I dreamed about you last night, Becky, with the good hair. I almost not going to let you go, bitch. I almost got to have you, bitch. That shit you said inviting me to your penis, boy, I almost got to have you. But see, you done made me look like a crazy man, but I almost got to have you, boy. I told you it was booty warrior ass. I almost got to have you, boy. Now I like you and I want you. <laughs> Invite me to your penis, which that's always been one of them tough talk lanes for me that just is like, hold up, man. Whenever it turns kind of gay, it's like, whoa, did you just tell that man to suck your dick? What what if that's what he wants to do? Now what? <laughs> But yeah, this whole thing, it it reminds me very much of a takeover in Ether because Jay-Z went for Nas' career. Uh, You know, one of them was Illmatic. That's one hot album every 10-year average. And then, of course, Kwame Brown took it into the lane of, yo, fuck how many points per game I average. Hey, Matt Barnes, wasn't Derek Fisher banging your wife? And isn't he the stepdad to your kids now, nigga? You can't even keep your girl, your light-skinned Drake motherfucker. <laughs> and it's just like, ooh, yeah. Reminds me a lot of TakeOver versus Ether. They they wanted to come for Kwame Brown career. Kwame Brown coming for their life. He said, hey, Steven Jackson, ain't, ain't you an old-ass fake game member? 
<laughs> you went up into the stands and punched the fans, but punch me. I'm a 6'11". I'm a man. And it's like, damn, boy, Kwame is going for it. Which, yeah, I always thought, you know, Steven Jackson, I liked as a player. But this whole gang member kind of mentality, he was embracing grown as hell with rags hanging out of his back pocket. It's just like, bro, let it go. Ain't no goddamn 6'6 six, six gang member. Because as soon as the cops come, you easily identify. Yeah, this nigga was 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> his head hit the light. That's how I know. Ain't a whole lot of 6'6 six, six gang members out here running around. But then I went to sleep and woke up, you know, thinking, all right, well, that was the battle between former NBA players, Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson versus Kwame Brown. Then I woke up and somehow saw Kwame Brown just unload, emptying the clip on everybody that's on the Breakfast Club. So here's a little bit of that. Uh, <laughs> so he came for Charlemagne. I guess Charlemagne had something to say about Kwame Brown, too. Going all the way back to uh, Kwame Brown, I think it, that, well, they're from Monk's Corner, South Carolina, Charlemagne is. And Kwame Brown has family down there, which if you know, and I lived in Georgia eight years myself, if you know Georgia and Carolina are closely Fine. connected. Fuck you. But anywho, Charlemagne, you a sick, sad motherfucker. And don't let the fact that you destroy black men and you dis you got a lane just like Stephen A. All y'all bitch, you went up there and disrespect rappers. You was a bitch ass rapist talking about baby. When this man done made a mo this man done made a multi-million dollar company, put out hit records, and made other black men rich. And your patch-eyed ass was up there talking about a made man. Hoping he slapped the dog shit out your bitch ass so you could oppress white daddy and then you can sue him. You niggas are disrespectful. We are not the same. Ain't no way in the fuck I would sit up on a job on a podcast and my job is to disrespect the host that come in here. Bitch, you made a female cry on your show, ho. All you do is destroy black people, you punk bitch. You gonna make that look... Uh, what's that girl that was crying on the show? The lip gloss popping. What's her name? You made that woman cry, you punk bitch. You made baby almost send them goons on your ass. Thank God he was more restrained because you got all them cameras. See, all you do is take from the culture. A big-ass gossiping bitch. You started off, what, what show you started on? Wendy Williams, what show you started on talking about people, bitch? Look how you feel good just sitting your fat ass in a chair talking about somebody, bitch. Yeah, man, Kwame's just emptying the clip. Uh, he made some comments about DJ Envy, too. But, of course, with Charlemagne, he's saying, hey, man, you called me violent. Uh, didn't you? Weren't you on trial for a rape? And of course, Charlemagne, it's Monday. I woke up this morning and Charlemagne had a whole 30 minute apology, you know, which you got to respect because it's like, yeah, you was out of line. You was having too much fun. I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy. I was having too much fun. <laughs> and the immortal words of Dave Chappelle playing Rick James. It's like, bro, yeah, you, you was having too much fun because sometimes you pointing the finger at people. And as they say, when you point the finger, two fingers point back at you. So uh, if I'm so violent and whatever else, and 
I think Charlemagne had went back to South Carolina in their days in South Carolina and mentioned like, oh, you know, his cousin got arrested, blah, blah, blah. So Kwame Brown said, hey, man, you know, what the fuck that got to do with me? And, you know, do does if Jeffrey Dahmer violent, does that reflect on his whole family? And then and then, of course, went for the gusto of and Charlemagne, if 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 you were rapist, then does that reflect on your family as your whole family rapist? I said, God damn, he is empty in the clip. And of course, he also came for DJ Envy and was like, hey, bro, ain't you get caught cheating on your wife and going on an apology tour? You a bitch. I said, man, Kwame, Kwame is emptying the fucking clip on y'all. Like, bro, this is crazy. Like I said, 20 something years of abuse, though. Y'all, y'all that are listening can go look up, you know, the fact that (laughs) Kwame used to just get abused in articles on ESPN and all that stuff. So he came for Stephen A. Smith. He came for, uh, what's my other guy, the white guy, Skip Bayless, which, you know, for them, it's extra harsh because it's like, yo, you're not even a former player. You can't even halfway play the game, but here you are with all the criticisms. And some of those guys are good at their job, but then there's some of them that it's just like, I think you're going a little too hard, dog. For some shit that you can't do. Fuck grabbing the rim. I bet you can't even grab the backboard. And you keep sitting here riding this man at a point. (laughs) But yeah, Kwame took 20-something years of abuse. And like I said, these fools was coming for him on some uh, Jay-Z takeover type shit. And he came back with some ether type shit of, you know, fuck the career. Let's talk about your life. (laughs) You know, with whiskers like a rat compared to bees, you whack. <laughs> and you man. And you dusty ass, dead Dracula face. Skip Bayless, why, when I look at your face, bitch, something about your face just make me want to say, I want to suck your blood. been the funniest week ever and like i said complete you know monday to monday with charlemagne issuing a 30 minute apology that i won't play here for y'all y'all can look it up he gave his own self donkey of the day for saying too much about a man that's 611 and you know that family knows each other's family so it's just like yeah bruh how you gonna do that if anything you should have good things to say about the man and you should be defending him. And Kwame makes some good points, you know, throughout some of these rants. I'm just sharing with you the funnier moments. Uh, we still not sure what mama's cooking is, which is funny. It's one of, he's got these old Southern uh, ways of explaining things. At some point, 
he's riding in the car and he shows his hands. Bitch, my hands are dirty. And I got the tractor back then. It's like, uh-oh, the tractor. <laughs> Not the tractor. I think he might be the most Southern motherfucker since Carl Malone, man. Since Carl Malone get to talking to some old back river riddles that you can't quite understand either. You go, did the motherfucker say he had a good game or not? I'm not sure what Carl Malone then came out here and said. And it's great. Yeah, one clip. Kwame pulls the tag off a shirt and says, y'all keep talking about how I dress you. Damn right. I got this shirt from Hobby Lobby. You won't get all my money, you bitch. Classic tough talk, Kwame Brown. We're going to go ahead and raise this jersey into the Raptors, complete with Charlemagne apologizing. This has been great. Uh, Jamel Hill got some smoke. Uh, who else got some smoke? Oh, Roy Hibbert, an NBA player, said something about, you know, when he was a kid <laughs> and Kwame Brown was in the league. He saw Kwame and Kwame didn't shake his hand, just walked right past him with his entourage. Which, if you know how they portray a lot of the NBA players, especially the white guys, they always seem a little bit mad because, you know, those guys are young and make more money than them. And they always look down on them. And, you know, they use certain words to have a negative connotation like entourage. Like I remember when Phil Jackson was in New York and he used to describe LeBron and his boys, which... You know, I think one of them, what Mav and Rich are, Rich is an NBA agent. So he described Rich and Mav, who are LeBron's two high school friends that he's also made his business partners. He described them as LeBron and his posse, which is just like, first off, Phil Jackson, <laughs> what a old ass word to use, you know, posse. But it's like, let's let's be aware. You you understand the connotations that that has. And even, you know, with Roy Hibbert describing Kwame Brown as, you know, his entourage. It's like, but man, it probably was him and his brothers, if anything. But they never see us as, oh, that's just family or friends. It's, oh, that's his gang. And it's just like, and then you got fools like Steven Jackson that, like I said, I liked as a player. But they do somewhat perpetuate that stereotype by having rags hang out of their pocket and all this goofy shit off the court. That it's like, bro, go be a millionaire. Go make your millions and play your ball, but leave the gang shit to people who don't have nothing else to do. It's just corny and you're too old for it. But, uh, yeah, Kwame Brown. <laughs> Hell have no fury like a number one pick scorn because, uh, yeah, he's been unleashing his wrath all week. And I've been enjoying it. I hope you enjoyed that tough talk. <laughs> oh, man, we might have to put him on the cover of the podcast after this week. Mama's cooking. He better put that on T-shirts because he's been saying it in every clip. And none of us are quite sure what it means. But we all at the same time understand what it means. You're going to get my mama's cooking, you bitch. <laughs> mama's cooking. I guess just like 8 Mile and Eminem and Mom's Spaghetti <laughs> that we all understood. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mom's, Mom do make some good-ass spaghetti. And he also keeps saying, I'm my mama's son. And it's like, well, Kwame, who else could you be? Uh, I'm going to let you guys get into this episode. Though. That's all I wanted to do for the intro. Because me and Ibrahim, Ibrahim's here for this episode. We back uh the original two walking 
uh, and talking. Uh, what did we discuss on this episode? Well, we discussed Kwame Brown and this whole thing, which I think we recorded Saturday. So we were just kind of halfway into it. But now that it's Monday, I wanted to pull up and give y'all some of the best clips from Kwame's rants. Uh, we discussed that. What did we discuss? We discussed comedy and uh, Ibrahim released his comedy album. So go check that out if you have not already. It's called Placebo. Uh, very good. Very modern. Uh, I'm, I'm actually impressed with Ibrahim's album and his development being a young comic in the game. Well, younger comic. It's weird to say that because he's actually older than me, but being a younger comic in the game and just not waiting for permission. So we discussed that a little bit. Uh, some comedy strategy, as always. Uh, what else did we discuss here on this episode? Man, it's hard to even remember. Me and him talk so much that I, after a while, it's like, was that a conversation on air or off air? I can't remember. I think we discussed the NBA playoffs a little bit. I think we discussed that. Uh, what the hell else did we discuss? Man, that's killing me. Whatever. Check out the episode. And y'all, oh, we discussed J. Cole's album, uh, which, if you've been keeping up, J. Cole was playing semi pro ball over in Rwanda. <laughs> the NBA now has a Rwandan league, which I thought was funny because people was actually tweeting. And watching the game all the way in fucking Rwanda. And it's like, yo, homie, y'all got WNBA teams in y'all own city that y'all won't check out. But y'all woke up on Central African time <laughs> to watch a fucking Rwanda League game. And I mean, shouts out to J. Cole, because obviously that's, you know, two-way promotion. It works as promotion for his album. And it also works as promotion for the league, putting some putting some light on the Rwandan league. So I ain't mad at that. But at the same time, like I said, it's like y'all niggas won't watch a girl named Rwanda that plays in your own fucking city and averages 25 points a game for the Atlanta Dream. But you're going to wake up on Central African time. I think that game started at 3 Central African time, which is like... <laughs> 11 a.m. on a Sunday. But you ask them about WNBA, man. Oh, man. Uh, you know, uh, man, I don't beat them games be coming on early. I'd be at work. <laughs> hey, man, I don't really know the team names like that. It's hard to keep up with the players. They got every excuse. But we watching J. Cole play. And I mean, he only played like 10 minutes in the game. And I mean, he had three points, but people started comparing it to Master P. And it's like, look, man, Master P was legit on a practice roster or a preseason roster for the Hornets and Raptors, like, and got a scholarship to college. And we love J. Cole, but J. Cole was a walk-on at St. John's and then quit somewhere in the middle of that, which, which means he has the height. And I mean, if he'd have locked in, who knows, but. Master P was a top recruit. And what did Master P play in college? I think Houston. But anyway, so yeah, it's not close to the same thing. But people want to make it like that. But 
Anyway, good promotion for J. Cole, which the album's pretty dope. I'm, you know, almost two weeks into listening to it. That intro is hard body. Uh, it's the intro when that motherfucker said, <laughs> put an M on your head, you Luigi brother now. He had the streets. People was going up about that verse or that bar. Uh, you know you kick the dope bar when the memes come out. It's one thing I appreciate about albums coming out now is the memes come out when you really touch the people, you feel me? So it was good to see for somebody later in the game. What is he on his sixth album, seventh album? I think it's six. So it's good to see because, yeah, I think we got spoiled with Biggie and Pac. I mean, R.I.P., they passed away. So there was no eighth, ninth Biggie album. And, I mean, Pac obviously produced a lot within a short amount of time. So, whatever album he'd have been on, there was no 15th Pac album for people to judge. But people go extra hard on Cole for being on his six where they just get bored. But, uh, I like the album. I enjoy it. So, check that out. Uh, particularly the end. I like, uh, the joint close on there. And then the other one, the last joint to me, are cold. There's a couple moments in the middle, but particularly the intro, close, and then the last joint on there. So J. Cole still got some fire left. I don't know about that fire on the court, though. We're going to need more than three points from J. Cole if we're going to be waking up at Central Time. (laughs) Could be worse, though. He could have got picked first straight out of high school by MJ. Uh what else did we discuss on here? Uh, me, Ibrahim, we discussed... I don't even know, man. We discussed comedy. Being a comedian versus being a comic. Uh, being a rapper versus being an MC. Hip-hop versus rap, which I think I was saying. Hip-hop is most of the good stuff, you know. That's the J. Coles. That's the Kendricks. That's the people that's, you know, trying to replenish your soul. Whereas... Migos, I love them niggas in future, but they're going to send you straight to the devil, baby. Percocet. Molly Percocet. Uh, There's no message here, except for Mask Off, which the CDC has confirmed. And it's getting weird out in the streets because you're walking past people and they're saying to not wear a mask if you're vaccinated. But most of these people ain't been fucking vaccinated. they just rolling with it like shit. Who going who gonna to tell me I'm not, basically? Like we used to say back in uh, <laughs> middle school, how about we don't, but we just say I did. And that's how people is rolling. But yeah, we discussed that on here. What else did we discuss? Oh, the death of Paul Mooney, which R.I.P. Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney. <laughs> Paul Mooney passed and Ibrahim uh, kind of got a little bit of the Farrah Fawcett treatment because his album Placebo was number one on the comedy charts. And then Paul Mooney passed and shot right past him because everybody went to check out Paul Mooney's classics uh, race. Go check that out if you haven't already. And, uh, you know, yeah, R.I.P. to Paul Mooney. I knew for some time that he was sick. And it just kind of sucked to hear that because things were so racially tense last summer. And I mean, they're actually racially tense all the time. We just... You know, election year, the mainstream media chose to lock in on it over the summer. And it and we were trapped inside the house, so you really couldn't get away from it. 
uh, you know, watching a target burn in Minneapolis live on my phone. But anyway, I really wanted to hear what he had to say about some of the newer things. But I guess it's up to our generation comedically now to point out the inconsistencies in, you know, society and to not be afraid. I remember a comic, uh, <laughs> a comedian, a white comedian told me he was racist. We were talking about how great Paul Mooney was. And he's like, oh, he's racist. And it's like, bro, he was born in 1941. So who started it? Him or your people? I mean, there were actually signs that said no coloreds. And born in the South in 1941. So there's no telling what he saw in it. You know, sucks that we losing that generation. You know, him, Pryor, Dick Gregory. It's just like, damn, you know, that was a generation that fought hard for us, you know, and through some real hard times, through the roughest of times, you know, segregation, the death of MLK and all of that, and still came out smiling and telling jokes, so... Who am I to get on this motherfucker and be angry all the time when they went through what they went through? Sacrifice what they sacrificed and told the fucking truth. Gotta love Paul Mooney. <laughs> uh, some of my favorite Paul Mooney moments. Obviously him on the Chappelle show. That classic line of him saying, everybody wants to be a nigga, but nobody wants to be a nigga. <laughs> it's a classic Paul Mooney bar. Uh... It's even sampled in a song. It's sampled in an Earth Gang song. I forget which album it is it is, but Donald Glover puts it on the show Atlanta, that song. That's how the dude opens the rapper. Damn, I forget their names, but I love I love Earth Gang's music and yeah. So you could tell, you know, he influenced a lot of people all the way out to like I said, an Earth Gang song. Everybody wants to be a nigga, but nobody wants to be a nigga. Uh <laughs> And, of course, him clowning, uh, you know, Hollywood for <laughs> The Last Samurai starring Tom Cruise of just, like, the ridiculousness of it all. I think one of my favorite Moody jokes, though, was him actually not talking about race. He was kind of clowning Aretha Franklin. And he was like, you know, she's got them titties. He was like, <laughs> you know, I changed the channel. Them titties was on the next channel, too. So, Paul Moody, R.I.P., one of the greatest... Uh, like I said, check out his work. Uh, is it Black Jesus? Jesus was black and so was Cleopatra is the name of the comedy special. So I think that's his best work. And that's a top 10 comedy album all time for me. So check that out. Uh, I've done 30 minutes here of intro. So I'm going to let y'all get into this episode. Hope y'all enjoy it. Like, share, subscribe. Leave us a fucking review. Oh, and I'm going to figure out how to do these ads. I've been slacking on that part. But we're going to figure that out. So expect some ads next in the next week or two. Uh, trying to step my podcast game up here. There's obviously a lane now that Rory and Maul have broken up <laughs> from the Joe Button podcast. Although it's funny because it's like, yo, Joe going to be interesting everywhere Joe goes because he's Joe. I mean, he left complex unceremoniously <laughs> he he got rid of Roy and Maul unceremoniously he quit rap unceremoniously so Joe gonna be Joe man what the hell all right
I'm rambling too much, but let me get the fuck off here. Like, share, subscribe. Hope you enjoy the episode. Chilling, man. Yeah, I thought you guys said 1.30, so I jumped in on um Talent's uh, video pod. Because, you know, he, he invited me on there real quick. Yeah, right. man, that's yes, man. what's up. All good. No worries. Uh, where am I at here? Let's see here. Oh, I have my volume down. I'm like, wait a minute. You sound low. Nah, I just was, you know, kind of rolling, you know, stopped with the lady, wound up doing a little brunch early, picking gotcha. some cable box for her aunt, whatever, whatever, so, you know, rolling, <laughs> but figured whatever, it's Saturday morning, right? You always figure you got time to kill. Mm-hmm. But we forget, it always take women a little bit longer, like, everything, order yeah. it. It's like, yo, get the wings, nigga. The wings is always good. Mm-hmm. They can't yeah, mess up the- wings, right? Shit. Man, it's re- I rarely ever been anywhere, whether I lived in Indiana, Georgia, Buffalo. That you Certainly Buffalo, New York can't mess up wings because they're called Buffalo wings because of Buffalo, New York. A lot of people think buffaloes mm-hmm. actually have wings, but it's not. That's not the yeah. case. Yeah, no, they were the they they were the pioneers of it. I remember the commercials back in the day. They were their origins, which is crazy because it's actually a crazy story of like, I think they said something like, you know, some shit got left over basically, and they were like, I don't know, feed them the wings. <laughs> mm. It's like, nah, that winds up being the thing. It's like, yeah, feed them the wings. But yeah, we was doing uh bottomless mimosas, so I'm a little tipsy here myself, but Oh shit. We'll make it happen. <laughs> usually yeah, usually that's usually from what I hear, because I don't drink, but from what I hear, nothing neither is my woman, but usually that's when a woman trying to take advantage of you, nigga. I'm surprised you made it to this podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how that's how women roofie dudes like bottomless mimosas. Like you know what a else? A little is bit, but I feel like, like like it's a two-way street, you know. Like I said, nah, I but, but women got they they got they they love language. They got they way about shit. Yeah, I hate this, these narratives now. These internet narratives of you know someone's taking advantage. If you need alcohol to get a woman, then that you don't deserve a woman. And it's like, bro, that's the loosen them up. That 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 you shit. Women say that themselves. That's the Remember, truth. I be having I I be having this conversation with young ladies all most of the time. Mm-hmm. I go I go as much as y'all want to say that men uh, the rape culture with men and men in rape culture is like women contribute to it. <laughs> if you, a if little bit, yeah. They buy me a drink. Yeah, get me this. Get me you, that. Yeah, I you want ain't some weed. Get me right. high. What? Oh, damn. Right. Like I literally had a chick that I used to mess with. Right. Who said. Um, buy me like, look, you gotta feed me first before we fuck. She was like, because I ain't fucking on an empty stomach. Right. So then you'll meet a woman that go, oh, just because you fed me, don't mean we gonna fuck. It's like, look, man, y'all need to get a meeting and get and get some consistency. <laughs> right. <laughs> on, on what? Because trust me, what you're telling me that women don't want to do this. So many chicks who do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, like, it's all so tricky, and that's the the crazy thing. I guess my advice as a growner man over 30 would be not the first time, nigga. Like, make the first time, you know, you and her sober. Or 
y'all at the same level. You know, if you can prove to the cops that you had two drinks and she had two drinks, then that should be a whole nother thing. Mm. But, like I said, you know, preferably you had nothing and she had nothing. But, you know, once mm. you y'all been dating a minute, whatever, whatever, it's like, yo, we both had bottomless mimosas, so Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had six and I had four, but that's because I know my fucking limits. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it's certainly one of those things where it's just like, ah, ah, we're doing this again. But we ain't going to get off on that, man. We should start off on, I don't know, how how's comedy, I guess, post-pandemic, we'll say we're entering now that, you know, the masks are coming off. The CDC has freed us. <laughs> yeah, he does something. It is because people never listened to the CDC before, right? Yes. But now that yeah, not yeah, now that CDC runs, everyone's so avid listeners of the CDC now. They trust or, the CDC, or so we say. Like I get why the business owners are falling in line. It's like, well, if you don't fall in line, here come the fines. But mm-hmm. for the average person, it's like they said to wear a condom during oral oral twos, and you haven't done any of that. So right. I mean, God bless the dead, but uh, R.I.P. <clears throat> Patrice O'Neill. But uh, yeah, you know, Patrice, <laughs> Patrice did the joke about dental dams, so none of us can do it now. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, none of us have ever uh, ate pussy with a dental dam, so none shit, of us. The, shit, what none of the, us do what the CDC says. What did the CDC have to say about Project Staircases when I was growing up? They ain't had shit to say about that. <laughs> that was one of the dirt. That was one of the nasty. If the CDC was about anything or fucking any of these damn organizations, the project should have been closed down eons ago. You know, <laughs> man, I had to have a flashback, nigga. Like the a project staircase is the nastiest place ever, and people they had people inhabiting these areas and living. And then it would rain, and then you know, because people would like piss in the hallways and all that in the in the in the staircases and stuff and it would rain and then that water would cascade down the staircase <laughs> where was the cdc talking about you know with the way these people are living is inhumane they're like nowhere <laughs> to be found yeah. but all of a sudden people trust that's what killed me like the same people who are on the liberal side who want to tear down the system and revolt and don't trust the government and all of this stuff which is valid I'm with all that shit, but at the same time, these motherfuckers are going, the CDC said that it's like, yo, really? Really? It's the hypocrisy. It's like, you got to Yeah, the CDC. Oh, now you listen to the CDC. The CDC mm-hmm. also said XYZ, which mm-hmm. I remember my dumb ass tried to pull out a condom on a girl for oral, and she just, like, got upset and was like, really? Like, I mean... If so you, you don't think I got me, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just say you don't trust me. And I mean, whatever, whatever. This that's rape. Tough, that's rape. Tough what she talk podcast. Look, look, that, but that's rape what she just did. That's rape what she did. Oh, I because think if she you, said it too. I think she that, said That's actually, rape what she did. Quote, unquote, I ain't sucking on no plastic, nigga. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's a good point. No, but, but if you flip that on the other side, that's rape. A little bit, and because I mean, she you gas- know, that's, she, that's modern, she day, modern you. day. Modern day, yeah. She, she gaslit you because it's like you—that's you, almost like a guy. Like if a woman asks the dude to wear a condom, right, and then he manipulates her and go, "Well, what? You don't love me?" Such as, you know, what I mean, 
It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. how they would like, say that that we men we don't we don't get that sort of but uh, we don't get that benefit of doubt. But I'm just saying that that if you want to take it in the context of what things supposed to be right now, no, nah, yeah, is. yeah, yeah, definitely in, within the confines of whatever it is right now, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But me being a man, I said, you know what, you're right. Why should I let this girl suck on plastic? Yeah, you were a gentleman. Yeah, you were really thinking about her. Her well-being. And to be fair to me, I wouldn't have cared, but I had just come off of STD, so the CDC was, you know, guiding my life. And I said, you know what? Ignorance truly is bliss, because after that moment, I never took for granted of like, yeah, but who is this chick? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what am I really doing here right now? So, but anyway, what was we talking about? comedy post-COVID. We we linked up last night, man. Uh, yeah. What do we go to? Three shows? Uh, Well, you sat through a mic. I did, I did a few minutes at that mic. Then we had a show. Then we went, yeah, man, yeah, three shows. Yeah, then we, we went around the Sour Mouth. Then we stopped by the Triad, but we didn't get inside the Triad because they said they were packed, right? You didn't have to tell that story. We, we told a great story of, you know, we had a great time. They put us up. We killed it. XYZ, but now that you told <laughs> that we actually couldn't get inside the triad. No, nah, no, nah, but we couldn't Shouts get in because Joe Hill. We couldn't I get mean, in not because of them, because of the, 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 the COVID capacity limits or whatever the still happening. Yeah. That's why I was yeah. impressed when I went to brunch this morning. Like I guess the bar owners and stuff are taking ownership or just like, yo, honestly, fuck it, it's up to you. We're going to trust, I think they said at the bar that I went to, we're going to trust that you had the vaccine and that no one in here is wearing a mask other than our waiters. So it is what it is. We're not enforcing. And I mean, I get that it got tough for them trying to enforce it where it's like, bro, you know, if you don't want to wear a mask, who am I to come around and make you keep one on? So, right. They're letting loose. The CDC, as I said before, has set us free. So, yeah, mm-hmm. man, we went to three fucking shows. What did you say? We went to Joey Bass. Joey Bass, we did for two. Well, this other one, shit, Danger Mouse. Sour, Sour Mouse. Sour Mouse. The Phil Risden show. Sour Mouse and LES. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Phil Risden. That was a cool little joint. Then we went to Uptown in 72nd to. Uh, the triad, triad. Joe Hill's joint. So, yeah, comedy's back in New York, and that that's good to see, man. Like, dog, <laughs> it's been like what a year and a half, yeah. I mean, you got the album out, so that's go ahead and plug that. What's the title of the album, man? Oh, uh, placebo, uh, placebo, placebo's the title of the album. Placebo. I thought he was gonna do that at the end. Yeah, we do that at the end. Plug it at the beginning. Plug it at the end, nigga. This ain't no official shit. So yeah, we, beginning and end. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, was, you was telling me last night what stopped you from being number one, though. Uh, R.I.P. Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney. Look, man. If I yeah, you right. If I'm gonna get knocked down by anybody, you know, it's poetic justice that it's Paul Mooney. I mean, if you had to get knocked down by somebody, oh, yeah. that's the somebody yeah. to get knocked down. Hell yeah. So yeah, Paul Moore. That made 72 hours at number one was pretty fucking dope. 72 hours? 72 hours up. I was at number one for, for three days. Nice, and nice. At the beginning, 
And at the beginning of the fourth, that's when Paul Mooney died. I know you're going to rub that in with your wife when she be like, take the trash out. Lady, I got the number one comedy album. <laughs> 72 hours. For 72 hours. I feel like that's my Al Bundy four touchdowns in one game for poke high moment. <laughs> that's that's going to be my shit. I'm going yeah, to keep throwing that jacket. back up. Yeah, man. I'm going to just keep throwing that back up. We you need know, to get but... some varsity jackets going in comedy for moments like that. Most definitely, man. That that was that was a, a surreal moment, man. That you know, it, it just it's satisfying. You know what I mean? Especially yeah, with all of the like all the frustrations I... we talk about with the dealing with stuff, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's this whole philosophy now of being able to choose yourself that that didn't necessarily exist when I was uh first starting in comedy i i'm weird because i started right on the line i started 2006 ish so back then they were talking about epks and that was an electronic press kit right 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 you had to then send the dvd to a comedy club with your headshot with your whatever so all the pain that people feel when they get rejected now as a vet, I'd be like, nigga, that ain't nothing. Like, you never paid for postage. You never paid to actually print out headshots. Word up. <laughs> you never prayed to actually print out DVDs. And, I mean, you know, MySpace, I think, was right around the corner after I started. But it's just dope that y'all have these avenues now to be able to self-print or self-publish. And a lot of us older guys are still stuck in the mode of, like, you made your own comedy album? You, who who told you you could do that? Mm-hmm. It's like, nigga, I'm not waiting for permission. No, I'm not, man. It's like, after a while, man, you... Look, man, I came to a realization. is like, I came to New York. I wanted to be a hoe. And I wanted to be a good hoe. But after... <laughs> I wanted to be a good hoe. I had my stroll picked out. had my clear heels. I was ready. I was ready for the, to be pimped. And after a while, man, you get tired of the feeling of people wanting to be that, you know, the only validation I'm looking for is the validation from the audience and the valid and, and, and not even the validation of my peers, but the respect of my peers. And other than that, I'm good. man. Outside of that, I'm good. Even that I could take with a grain of salt, but it's like, you know, after a while you get tired of niggas waiting on niggas to pick you. It's like, yo, you got to pick yourself. Got nah, you. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in picking yourself, I just hate that, you know, I guess as an older guy, I, I just hate that people tend to think you can only do it one of two ways where it's like, man, you can do all of this shit and there's no <clears throat> there's no one to stop you from doing all of it, you know. Worse. Because, yeah. because yeah. you released a comedy album doesn't mean you can't audition at comedy clubs. Because you auditioned at comedy clubs, it doesn't mean you can't release a comedy album, but I right. see too often too many cats limit themselves and they, they place themselves almost in a box. I'm the independent guy or I'm the club guy. I, I don't do nothing until I think, I'm waiting to be told. But but I think what happens is people latch on to where they've been comfortable at. Like for me, I came in wanting to audition and I've auditioned at clubs. Like we've explained this. You know, I've auditioned at the clubs. I've asked, you know, can I bark and people give me their ass to kiss. I've tried to do things so-called the right way. Wait your turn. Try to, because there's a pecking order and, all, and respecting the 
the uh, comedy ecosphere and, and, you know, who's up next and all of that. You respect that in the beginning. But after a while, when you realize that the system don't respect you and you start, like, noticing certain things happening around, it's like, oh, nah, well, you know what? The, the they longer... bombed just like I bombed. The fuck? Huh? Yeah. Well, the same thing. Like, it's opposite. It's they killing like I killed. So, it, after right. a while, it's like... And they, didn't, and they didn't do what they're telling you you have to do in order to get to where they're going. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do that. So, it's like, after a while, it's like, yo... And I think that's why people become the way they are. It's like, yo, you kind of have to, you have to have the mentality of like a late round pick to do stand up in a particular way, right? Like, Which... like if you look at, like if I look at it, and I'm not knocking nobody who who's in the like who gets regular club spots, industry spots, whatever. But to do it the way I'm doing it, I have to have that chip on my shoulder for the other side because if I don't, you know what I mean. It, it doesn't I, serve me well. And I feel like Jersey Cats, and the two things for you, one is being a Jersey Jersey comedian, and two is being an older comedian coming into the game, whereas I feel like, obviously, what are you, 35, 35, 30? 38, but I've been doing stand-up in New York more than I've, longer than I've been doing, that I did stand-up in New Jersey. Yeah, there's more <clears throat> spots, and you feel like you've done it more in New York than New Jersey because uh-huh. there's more spots, definitely, I would say. But like I said, feeling like that, you know, as opposed to being a 24-year-old and just doing what people tell you. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. If y'all listening, check out his comedy album. It's available on all platforms, right? Placebo. Airware. Everywhere. Available iTunes, Spotify, all that shit. Go go check it out. It's a dope album. I co-sign it. I don't co-sign a lot of shit. Uh, it's a fairly modern album. I like the transitions on the album and whatnot. It gives you the old school radio feel. Yeah, man. It was uh, Minuin. Minuin Hart did an amazing job. Shout out to Minuin. With helping you get it produced and all that. Now he produced it. Yeah. Oh, he, I didn't he, know he produced he put, it. Okay. He put, yeah, he put a lot of he put all of what you hear. He put it together. That makes it sense because Minuin's kind of a radio guy. Like I've heard some of Minuin stuff podcast wise. Uh, let's say Minuin Hart here. Uh, Minuin Hart. Minuin, yeah. Man, that first name's a doozy, but the last name H A R T. Minuin like Bret Hart. Right. Yeah, he's a very dude, talented veteran dude, New man. York City comic. Uh, look him up if you guys are listening. He's very funny as well. I mean, we'll probably have him on the podcast at some point, you know. Getting back to seeing people, we actually bumped into him last night. But, uh, right. yeah, it's funny, man. It's just like, I, I don't know, comedy nowadays, you have the avenues and you have, I guess, the – um. You have the means to do it yourself. And I just think a lot of cats, you know, on one side, they don't. On one side, there's waiting for permission. And then there's another side of like not waiting for permission. And you almost start doing too much to where people are just like, wait, 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 wait. You've been doing this three years and you got nine comedy albums. (laughs) (laughs) So then there's that too, you know. Yeah, I mean, but both extremes, but yeah, but I mean, in the end, in the end, what I'm learning, man, who gives a fuck? 
in the end. Because you Absolutely. Got people, I mean, you got, you got, got people nine who, comedy albums and no yeah. one's seen them. It's, it almost becomes like that old theory of if a tree falls in the woods. <laughs> yeah, but eventually what happens is like with, with so many other artists and what I'm learning is that they create a backlog so that if they do, if and when they do pop, people go back and listen to their shit. So as much as we can be like, yo, that's absurd. That's almost like the same thing with comics was talking about. Many of us are talking about the uh, Instagram guys. It's a lot of static, bro. I don't know what you what you moving the mic or something, but it's a lot of noise on your side. I'm not moving the mic. I got a fan going, though. That's fair. But I'll yeah, listen back to it. I'll see what I hear. But Right. Yeah. But, um, but it's just like a lot of people talked about niggas on, you know. Instagram uh, and, yeah, Instagram exactly and all of that. And then. Themselves. Right, and but then what happened was, but what happened was when the pandemic hit, you ended up you had veteran comedians who had to, who had to uh, conform to that form of entertainment. Right, yeah, definitely. And content myself, creation. I found myself on TikTok like, what the hell am I doing? But all the right. way to uh, Sarah Cooper doing a, uh, what did she get a Netflix special off doing impressions of Trump, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, and I, I, I was I was at a club and I saw a club owner. Oh, oh, that don't worry about the TikTok. And it's like, yeah, man, y'all all just want us to bow down to y'all and think that y'all are the master. Y'all ain't mm-hmm. been the master for a long time. You know what I mean? Right. That shit is basically for your ego. I remember moving to New York and getting in the clubs, and then you start looking around, and it's like the pay only twenty something dollars. You know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we all doing this almost for each other at a certain point, purely for the ego, you know. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, I think it's the um, people who aren't in clubs in New York that make the clubs matter so much. It's all they talk about, you know, almost like a virgin that's never had a, been with a woman before. Of like, uh, women, 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 women are this, women are that, and you like. But you never even been with one. How do you really know, eh? Whereas I mm. feel like the cats that actually do clubs, this is barely what they talk about, you know? In most cases, they're like, talk about getting out of it. <laughs> mm. But it's just that, it, you know, I, I think we as being comics who are not in the clubs, I can speak for myself, is that I look at it like, it's almost like speaking against the status quo. You look at it as, as the status quo. And I just mm-hmm. think it's, it just comes from people's experiences from dealing with the bookers and dealing with all the bullshit. It's just like, you know what? Fuck that. That's, that's in my mind. I know for me, that's why I think the way I do. The, the and, only, I use that, and I use that as motivation. Not definitely. The only bell that I can shoot for the sake of clubs is that there is a standard and there is some competition, meaning... You get out into Brooklyn, you get off the, on some of these bar shows, and you'll get a cat going, oh, oh, I killed. And you go, okay, 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 you killed, right? Where at and against who? So it becomes a lot like the NBA where it's like, oh, you know, that was head-to-head with Steph Curry or head-to-head with whatever good comment. Whereas mm-hmm. in the club, it's more curated to where it's like, oh, okay, you got a guy that started last week that's running the show in Brooklyn. On this show, you got two of his friends. You got one guy that's got a credit on Comedy Central, and he came after your set <laughs> of like, what was the competition? Mm-hmm. And that's the only benefit I ever give cats of clubs. It's like, yo, the 
competition be kind of stiff sometimes. If the book is doing his job, there's it's book right to where it's like, nah, but I killed playing against some real people that you got to worry about. But speaking of competition and speaking of, you know, all that type thing, uh, <laughs> let's transition into some tough talk, a tough talk Hall of Famer. We're going to go ahead and put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Kwame, Kwame Brown. Brown, man. Have you been yes. seeing the rants? Uh, I watched a few of them, man. Dude is, dude is funny, but I, I like his movement. I like what he's talking about. They're hard to keep up with, though. I feel like somebody needs to um, bring them all together for us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was already clowning. I was like, yo, this nigga got, in one week, he got almost more videos in a car than Derek Jackson, and that's the record. Mm-hmm. Like, where is Kwame Brown going? Who knows? The niggas always got a seatbelt on, though. Click it or tick it. Kwame Kwame kicking some real shit, though, because you got to think about it. As much as motherfuckers, it it was so ironic about this is that a lot of them talk about, you know, a lot of these analysts are social justice uh, uh, advocates and all of this stuff, but they have been bullying that dude for the last 20 years. But you know what's so crazy? Talking major shit about him. And he's one of a few athletes that Granted, I lived in Georgia, bro. I heard the legend of Kwame Brown, you know, playing ball in Georgia. And, like, yeah, man, people would, yeah, man, he had 38 rebounds against us. And, like, so, yeah, it was crazy. He was supposed to go to Florida University mm-hmm. with uh David Lee, who became an all-star in the NBA. He was a part of that class, but he elected to go straight out of high school, number one pick by Jordan. Uh, And you're right, like, and I mean, mind you, just as I'm saying, comedy changed through social media. So did the NBA, to where it was like there were no podcasts back then. I can't say I've ever heard Kwame Brown really say a damn thing, you know. So you had these, you know, 40 year old white guys that have never played sitting up in a suit on ESPN, just kind of bagging on him that he almost right. did become a punchline. And, I mean, if I'm being honest, dog, when he get drafted, I think 2001, 2002? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I can't say in 20-something years I ever heard Kwame Brown say a fucking thing. So, no, he didn't. It's, it's great to see, like, that he's alive and not only alive and doing well, but, like, fuck y'all. I never let y'all crush my confidence. I am Yo, the number I, one pick. You can't take yeah. that away from me. Right, and... And what people don't realize, which I had to be reminded of, is that he played 13 years in the NBA, made millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. People people love to do this thing where you're either a Hall of Famer or a failure. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, there's a lot of in-between. Like, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but Russell Westbrook this year, they was bagging on him about, you know, I think when his team was in 11th place, then he started racking up all these triple-doubles. And people started going, yeah, but we don't care. We've seen that from you. And we want to see you win a championship. And Russell Westbrook said, yo, like, I make $30 million a year. He didn't say I make $30 million a year, but you know that's what he meant. And he said, right. nigga, I'm a champion at life. Right, right, right. Like, fuck the NBA. Because we do this weird thing, especially with great players, where we penalize them for not winning the championship. 
but then we'll also clown like a Kevin Durant where it's like, I mean, if I got to be honest, that's the most bitch move of all time. But like, not only did you go to the team that beat you, you went to the team with the best record of all time. Right. So it's like, well, I can't clown Kevin Durant and clown Westbrook. It's like one of them got to be real. So if mm-hmm. I had to say, KD, love you, Hall of Fame talent, great player. Whoo, that's a bitch ass move, dog. Right. And I gotta respect Westbrook. He stayed and he played it out. And however when it went, you know. Mm-hmm. But it can't be both. So back to like a player like Kwame Brown, that is just like, you know, yeah. He played in the league uh 13 years and he averaged what he averaged. And I mean, he figured it out at some point and kind of learned to stick around. Mm-hmm. But, there's still other players that it's like, yeah, Big Country Reeves, how long he lasts. Yeah, I like – and that's one of the videos I really liked of his when he brought up he brought up Adam Morrison. He said, y'all all talk about me being a bust, but what about Adam Morrison? And I was like, word. I said, people forget all about Adam Morrison. That's a Yo, lot he, of fun, man. Bro, there's a lot of first-round busts, especially first-round busts who even, are white guys. Even Adam Morrison has a case because then he goes – yeah, but I'm an NBA champion. <laughs> you know he won what we yeah, yeah, I know with the right? with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, but he was right. sitting on the bench. But he was still a he was still a bust. You know, in yeah, like if you were talking about Kwame Brown, yeah, he's out the league. Yeah, very but, fast. But the average NBA career is three years or so. So you know, people mm-hmm. people think it's a lot more than what it is. But what was I going to say? Oh, just that Kwame played for both played with both MJ and Kobe. He might be the only nigga to get yelled at by both. That it's like <laughs> both them niggas were terrible teammates, yo. Listen, that alone Kobe and Mike Savage. Kobe and Mike two of the worst teammates ever. So I, and I, I don't, don't give a fuck what nobody say. Like, I don't know what Matt Barnes and them was thinking by by unearthing Kwame Brown, but man, that nigga is all the smoke. Yeah, he yeah he wants it all. That nigga is the smoke, Kwame, because he's answering everybody. Did you see he answered the Breakfast Club? I was dying laughing. Uh, yeah, he made mention about what Charlemagne did. What Charlemagne mentioned yeah, about his that father. old rape case he had. He was like, "Hold on, now, uh, player, yeah. Mister, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. plead guilty to a lesser charge." That's funny. You up here judging me, and then uh, the nigga got even got at Angelique because when he got when he got at Charlemagne and Envy, I was like, uh, uh, uh. What he say? He, he said somebody Angelique like you ain't got no man. Said somebody yeah. she ain't got no man, right? He got at her. I had to duck a little because I was like, oh man, this is about to get ugly. Yeah, he's like the way you be fawning over those rappers and shit. Like I was dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shit, funny. She a little giggle box of that. If you listen to the breakfast list, she adds almost nothing. You feel like yeah. Envy, Envy asks the music questions, being the DJ, and then Charlemagne's there kind of as an antagonist with her. She just kind of giggles along with whatever's going on. <laughs> But yeah, when you seen him come for her, it was like, Lord. Then he got after Jamel Hill. It was like, dog, this nigga is barring none. Which is a lot of athletes like that. They take a lot of shit. Like, mm-hmm. even Michael Vick, that people would say, like, until he caught that dog case, I never heard him talk. The motherfucker just played. Yeah. And I mean, they was lightning rods. Michael Vick, Derrick Rose is another one that you like. 
Oh man, people shit on Derrick Rose so bad. I feel so good to see him do well now. Yeah, he was, he was the he was the a meme for like four years, four or five years on the internet. I think Instagram, the whole meme culture was built damn near on Derrick Rose and his injuries and how bad. I was like, man, people are so fucking phony, dude. Oh yeah, that's why I don't I don't listen to social media at all. It's the um. The Chadwick Boseman stuff that they did of like you know look at look at the crack panther you know he mm. was losing weight and extra skinny. Right. I'm looking at it with some form of discretion of like yeah I don't think I need a joke that bad right like if, he, if the crack panther wasn't bad enough to come back the next year if with oh man you know y'all gotta be nice y'all never know what people are going through it's like well duh yeah. That's why I don't, I don't bar none. It's like, look, nigga, I grew up, I went to 10 different schools, nigga. I, I got a lazy eye, nigga. Like, the only thing that's acceptable, like, people only, it's whatever is acceptable now, meaning there's a list. Okay, don't make fun of fat people. Don't do this and don't do that. But everything else, so when people start this whole shaming or whatever, it's like, well, what ain't on your list to, like, Y'all niggas not really nice because y'all nice. <laughs> like, you're only nice because of the consequences. Like, that's right. what I hate now is like, oh, well, there's growth and change. And it's like, right in the middle of growth and change is, nigga, uh, just you being afraid of consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw the Joe Budden podcast, and I mean... If you've been paying attention, have you kept up with any of that shit? I've never watched that podcast, but I heard he fired his uh, his his co-host. Dog, yeah, it it got a on on air or something like that, right? Well, the issue with him is he's always big on like transparency, right? Which mm-hmm. again, that's another one of those buzzwords of the time that it's just like, yeah, but how much do people need to know? You know, you can tell too much to where people. You know, once you tell too much, it's like, hey, man, well, tell us about this. And then you go, oh, I can't tell you about that. I'm contractually obligated was what he was saying. And it's like, well, you told us everything else, nigga. So Mm. tell us that, too. But long story short, basically, he aired out his friends was what I uh, summed up of like, bro, whatever was going on with y'all, it wasn't supposed to be aired out. You know what I mean? Y'all kept doing episodes and handled that kind of behind the scenes. But. There's no such thing as behind the scenes now, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to jump in front of a camera. But I said all that to say, you know, right in the middle of when he was handling all of this, uh, what's the girl, Olivia Doe, who's a, you know, a, a personality, we'll say, which <laughs> even that now is like, what the fuck does that even mean? I feel old just saying that. Uh, cute girl or whatever, but anyway, she did. She was on the podcast or on his network. And long story short, right in the middle of him beefing with Rory and Maul, she dropped like a you know diss track of like, oh well, he uh you know was talking to me inappropriately, and then he came back out and it went, oh well, I'm sorry, and I got to take responsibility, and it's like. I want to do better. And it's like, nigga, you had to be told. Like, when you hear what he said, though, it's like, you asked the woman on air basically if you could fuck. You know what I mean? Mm. 
And then he was like, oh, well, that was kind of a joke. And it's like, nigga, you need to leave the jokes to the professionals. <laughs> like, like, what type of joke is that? Then didn't ask once, asked twice. You know what I mean? And nobody in the room really stopped it to go like, well, damn, that's just rude, Joe. Like, on air, that's how you're going to do her. So she's basically saying, you know, he made me uncomfortable. And any women that think about working for him or his network, you know, you need to hear this, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I mean, not that she was wrong. She was absolutely right. But it's like, I hate this whole narrative that people do where they try to like, well, I grown and I'm taking responsibility. It's like, nigga, you almost 40. And I think he is mm. 40. Mm. But like, nigga, you don't know not to ask a woman that on air, on camera. In front of people. Like I'd probably say not to ask that period. Period. No, not not in this climate. But you also gotta think about the type of environment those motherfuckers are in that they're used to a certain they're used to dealing with women in a certain way or women mm-hmm. dealing with them in a certain way. Cause everybody can't sit and say, Oh, women don't like or you you shouldn't do when you're not in a when you're not in that when you're not in that space that they're in where they experience people in a certain way. You get what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Cause, Cause it's like, it's almost like how you, it's, it's almost like you say, it's almost like when you, people say, yo, celebrities should act like this. How come celebrities be such assholes? How come they blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't understand what it's like to be that person and have no privacy. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? And then that person then when they deal with people, they deal with people sometime in the worst way, or people approach them like they're commodities and not people. No, so it's right. like it, respecting their time, respecting their privacy, respecting their space. So after a while, they're gonna act, they're gonna appear to you to be assholes. Oh yeah, they've been saying? getting special privileges for so long that they almost demand it. They go, "How come you're not picking up my bag or whatever?" You know, right? But not even just not, even, but not even that. Just people coming and approaching them. And you like, definitely. you know, the energy. So it's the same thing with Joe. If Joe been fucking groupy pussy this whole time yeah. and never really had to ask, never really had to really fight for it, never really had to do whatever, or just be as blunt as, hey, you want to fuck? Yeah. So now when he gets to a certain level with a woman who doesn't play on that, in that, on that level, in that field, and he goes, hey, can I fuck? And right. you look at him sideways... You know, you'd be like, yo, he should have said that. But, yo, you don't know that this motherfucker never had to ask the fuck probably for years. Not definitely. Because when we're just throwing it at him, it's groupie pussy. It's, it's just a whole up. different way of playing. It's just like you're saying you about like the women listening and ruin it a little bit. And then there's also a level of like, but still, you can't ask that kind of shit. And I mean, but no, but absolutely. No, I, get I, like, I, I get it. I agree. You get it that a lot of the rappers are lanes and that, that they don't have to earn anything and, and, and that, yeah, they are socially awkward because after a while, they, everything's just kind of coming li- to them. Their life is in a bubble, bro. Like, a, they, a good deal of them are going to shows, performing, then they're with their close group of friends who go and get the bitches or the bitches come to them. They don't really have to go out and do or socialize like that. Yeah, they don't. So like, and I'm not making no. And listen, I'm not making no excuses for poor behavior. But you just have to understand they're in a whole nother box. I remember years ago, about, I guess it was about five or six years ago, when Tyrese made some comments about women, and people jumped all over Tyrese and stuff about how can he say this about women? How can he say this about da da da? 
And I'm like, he's talking about the women that he sees out in L.A., out in the entertainment business that approach him right. and how they are with other celebrities and what they and, – and how, and, and how these chicks don't got nothing about themselves. All they got is that they are attractive and they're trying to work their way into a certain social status or social strata. Yeah. And, and, and how they like, carry themselves. And that's all I'm talking about. If I described the chicks I bump into in New York, I would almost fit them into two groups of like the chicks that move here, like I moved here, are honestly on their own personal path to whatever they feel like, whether they work in finance or they're into real estate, no matter what they're into, that's their goal. The right. actual New York chicks that I meet are very much on some trying to settle down type shit because they're from here. This isn't impressing them. Mm-hmm. Meaning they didn't come here with some ulterior motive or, oh, I want to be the biggest whatever, you know? Whereas right. the chicks I meet that are not from here like me, you know, on the same shit are like, I want to be the biggest comedian, you know? They're they're mm-hmm. opposite me of like, oh, I want to be the biggest whatever. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I get where Tyrese was coming from. Yeah, there, there was something that was said to me by another fellow comedian. He'll remain nameless, but he's in L.A. And he was telling me about the about the how everyone t- was at that time talking about the toxic environment of the inter- of the Los Angeles entertainment community, and you know that's when everything was coming out about the Weinstein and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. And it also, and this also tells of what I was talking about how women also can contribute to the rape culture or the toxic culture of a particular, uh, you know, spectrum of people or whatever community. All right. So he was saying how you have in LA. You have women who come to LA who are very much like what you're talking about. They're goal oriented. They have a they have talent. They want to make it in the business. And they're busy writing scripts, getting better at stand up, taking acting classes, doing the things they want to do or they need to do in order that they believe in order to be able to be the best in their field to make it. Right? Right. And he said then there's other women who wanna fuck their way up. Right. And they come and to the, LA too. And, and they come to LA too, and they're the ones who contribute to the culture that those other young ladies have to contend with or deal with, because they're willing to give up pussy to get a role or to get some type of work, where yeah. other young ladies are willing to work and be better at their craft. He said, and unfortunately, the women who just want to fuck all of the right people so that they can get in the right spots, they ruin it for everybody. Because now yeah. those same producers, those same directors, those same whatever, even though these motherfuckers are grown, they should know better. But the women who want to be hoes, literal hoes, in order to make it, they're the ones who contribute also to that. They to enable. The, the they enable producer. Right. They enable that environment. Gotcha. So then, when you got the young lady who comes and she actually has talent, she actually has this. They go, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But what else can you do? Like shit. Right. And it's like I said, I said, you know, okay, Joe's gonna apologize for this. And on cue, he did, but then I'm sitting going, and, and I mean, mind you, my whole position coming for him is like, bro, I'm not gonna act like I'm a better man than you because if 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 um given the same privileges, who knows who I become, right? Right. But then I'm also going. You know, you had Kevin Samuels come through, and he's saying certain stuff, and Joe's the nigga going, 
what do you mean though? You know, actually, women are people, and it's like, nigga, don't get that corny ass. Oh, he, we know yeah, you got he, all yeah. sorts of DV cases and whatever, right. whatever, and whatnot. And I know he how it can, get, it can get murky when you a rich, rich dude, and you basically dealing with Instagram girls, but you also mm-hmm. chose to deal with them girls. And then I can't feel too too sorry for them because they also chose to deal with you knowing that you had two DV cases. So. That's right. between y'all and the Lord, basically, is where I choose to leave it. But like I said, it gets tricky because, you know, like I said, he would try to sit there and kind of play feminist on the podcast. And it's like, nigga, yeah. don't don't do that. Don't you virtue know, signal. Every time another dude came up, oh, oh, absolutely. It's like, look, I might say something about another dude, but absolutely I understand how you could get there, you know. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't ever sit here and try to act like I'm better than. It's like even I keep seeing dudes say with the, uh, you know, Bill Gates is getting a divorce and uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos got one I think last year when it's just like people are saying, well, if they couldn't keep their girls happy, and I'm like, y'all so stupid. It's like it's not that their girl wasn't happy; they wasn't happy. <laughs> like, bro, if you got you know a hundred mil, it's not to split that. I yeah, like people, people love to relate themselves to situations so so often that it's like, nah, it's the fact that they're not happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see that. Like, what woman in her right mind would try to force it to with that much money? Hey, she walked away with she's walking away with half, right? She walked away with a few billion. Something like that. I mean, you know, you my know, thing is, my thing. I found, the thing I found funny is, from based on the stories I heard, is that he his his wet marriage is being broken up for attempting to get side pussy. Meaning he was trying and wasn't succeeding. Like bitches <laughs> was turning him down. That's the shit that I, that was. But like, how much swag do you not have being a billionaire and you can't get side pussy? Like you're the DMs. But I'm saying, yeah, with the people that, with the chicks he worked with, it's like, nigga, you, you losing your wife and half your fortune for failing to get side pussy? As a billionaire, you have no swag. Which at None. that point, we got to give a shout out to God for making the pussy. How good is pussy that we do such stupid things? <laughs> pussy is phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, we all amazing. came out of one. It start so. wars. Yo, people don't women t- women today really don't understand the power that they have. They really they shortchange themselves all the time. All the time. They have no idea they they really don't get it. Yeah, I mean, these dudes are out here running the world. Like even with Jeff Bezos, I laugh because I feel like his girl divorced him before he started delivering nasty Amazon leggings to all the women. <laughs> <laughs> Those Amazon leggings, man, those shits are... I feel like I haven't seen them look bad on anyone. Not not yet. Not yet. Like, I wish there was a way I could like all the girls' pictures in Amazon leggings. Those shits are official. Big girls, skinny girls, in the middle girls, all of them. Yeah. Them joints be lit. Them joints be lit. 
Well, what's hilarious about all of that is, you know, right in the middle of all of that and ordering the Amazon leggings, the chicks would be like, man, fuck billionaires. And it's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You just ordered five items off Amazon. I'm pretty sure you love billionaires, like with the whole SNL thing and Elon Musk. Did you see any of that? Hell no. I haven't watched I haven't watched SNL. I can't sit through an episode of SNL, to be honest with you. But I heard but the nigga but the nigga went on went on there and, and tanked Dogecoin and every other fucking cryptocurrency, <laughs> you bat you. Cryptocurrency, but I know everybody it was all about Bitcoin and in the last three months everybody been on Dogecoin. Well, Dogecoin supposedly is one of these um Dogecoin is one of these uh, like cryptos that was started like as a meme, as a joke, and then because Elon Musk and other ones were like talking about it, and they bought so many millions of it and all this stuff, it drove the price up pretty much almost like the GameStop shit. Yeah, to where people so, look at what Elon Musk and what other influencers or billionaires are investing in, and then go, "Well, that's got to be a good investment." People are such followers, yeah. So, yeah, but it's that, like they've been wrong before. Or just because they've been right once or twice doesn't mean they're right now. Right. So they manipulated. What happened was they manipulated the um, they manipulated the price. It went up, and then he went on SNL and I think did a sketch. And excuse me, they claim after his hosting of SNL, right? Well, it's not not claim, but right after he stopped, right after he hosted SNL, the the price plunged. It, it went down. Then Elon Musk said some shit about uh, mining for Bitcoin is harmful to the environment, mm. which also tanks Bitcoin's price. Ah. Tanks Bitcoin's price, and then what happens with with Bitcoin when Bitcoin's price tanks, all the other cryptos follow for the most part. Interesting. So the market itself, like I lost, ooh, man, I lost maybe my shit, my portfolio dropped maybe like twenty six Gs. <laughs> Damn, I, I was almost at. I'm sorry to yeah, laugh, like, dog. That's twenty six thousand. But I mean, you, you. The, the great thing about crypto is that you make a lot of money in a day, and you can lose a lot of money in a day, like way more in, in it than stocks. But but the investment is so small. The risk okay. is so small. Your profit margin. The is price so of large. interest is so small. You ain't tripping, tripping. No, nah, because it's like I didn't put that much money in. Gotcha. I'm, you know, my profit was amazing. I'm so curious like, to see how all that stuff shakes out. And I only say that there's like a documentary on Netflix about crypto, right? Mm-hmm. And the shit begins with some white boy in a high-rise apartment with an ankle monitor on. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to learn about this shit. And even to connect it to a story that's going on now is the um, gas prices, right? Did you see like that the gas lines got high got or hacked, got hacked, hacked or whatever. Yeah. And uh yeah. You know, they said they demanded payment in cryptocurrency because it's untraceable. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> where are we yeah. really going? Yeah, crypto. Um, I'm just really learning about it over the pandemic. I was home. A lot of people got their, you know, what happened was a lot of people got their um stimulus. Right. And the income tax, and you're at home, and you just alone with your thoughts, and niggas on the cell phone. And it's like, my boy told me about crypto many years ago, man. And had I got bought Bitcoin back in 2000, and was it 2007? Mm. Oh my god! 
he was telling me to buy back then. But back then, there was no exchanges. Right. There were no exchanges like they have now. And you don't want to be the first first. You want to be. Shit, yeah, you do, my nigga. Like, the niggas who were the first first? Oh, my God, yo. So you think it's like almost like the 49ers are like a gold rush at a point now. Bro, you in the dot with, with Bitcoin, you're like in the dot com era right now. This is remember the dot com boom when people was buying like ah, all the yeah, dot coms yeah. starting. Mark Cuban kind of started screaming. Right, right. That's what that's what that's what it is with crypto right now. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I'm curious to see what <laughs> it is, and I'll have to look into it. I ain't been off work enough days yet, but it's coming. But uh. Definitely with them hacking the gas lines, which obviously there's theories even about that. Are like, yeah, but did they really? Because it's like people were saying if they could hack a gas line in the codes, that they could hack a election machine or a vote machine. And it's like, oh shit, are we down that rabbit hole? They've been, I mean, but they've been, um, they've been, uh, said that they could hack, uh, uh, voting machines and stuff. Hmm. That that's that's already been that's already been uh, proven, right? Because Bush stole an election in our lifetime, pre damn near internet, pre social media anyway. So, yeah, it it can it can definitely be done. Uh, oh shit, hello. Oh, I didn't even hear you no more. Yeah, you can't hear me. Yeah, I could. I can hear you now. I couldn't hear you a second ago. Okay. Uh. Uh, but this is the thing that be killing me about the hackers. Shit. You ever see those motherfuckers anonymous? You ever see them? Yeah, and I remember we was going through all of the, you know, the the like with the police brutality and and all of this stuff. And I remember back with the Trayvon Martin case and all of this stuff. And people would put up on there, anonymous says that they're going to release the names of man. It's like man, fuck anonymous, bro. Give everybody you gonna hack some shit, yo. Give everybody eight hundred. Give all black people eight hundred credit scores, my nigga. Like, hack some shit that's gonna help <laughs> yeah. us out. Don't be sitting here. Oh, anonymous hacking and they, shit. Yeah, yeah. They used to like release videos and shit and, and talking nah, in like facts. the distorted nah. voices. And I'm like, man, get out of here with this performative. Like, we got somebody who's fighting for the people on the internet. Man, get out of here. I remember catching early in the pandemic, somebody hacked like the OnlyFans accounts. And it's like, I mean, cool, my nigga. Like, I love to see ass shake, but also. Like you said, yo, hack student loans, hack Navi. Hack some shit that's important. Hack Sally Mae, hack, hack FICO, like, baby. Do do something for the people, for real. Yo, work. Like, I was just talking, right? I was just talking to, um, like I said, I, I, before we jumped on here, I, I stopped in on, on Talent, was on IG Live. So he invited me on and whatever, and he's talking about the abortion law that's being passed in, I think, Texas, I believe it is, right? Right. So he's like, um, he's talking about how all these men are getting into this, getting into this one room, and they're deciding, you know, what women should do with their bodies and stuff. And I told him, I said, yo, these these motherfuckers are so stupid, right? If you go, what a waste of your power. If you're going to be a bunch of men sitting in a room, why are you discussing what women should do with their uterus, my nigga? You should find a way to abolish child support. And spousal support, <laughs> and yeah. fucking, you know what I'm saying? And fucking alimony payments. It's like, yeah, have all the babies you want, but I would make it almost impossible for a woman to get. <laughs> yeah, to get. that's where we should be. These stupid idiots all in one 
room discussing, oh, she shouldn't get an abortion. I'm like, no, yeah, let her get an abortion. Dave Chappelle kind of mentioned that on his special, the last one of like, well, yeah, I mean, cool, but also I shouldn't have to pay because you decided to have it. To have it and I didn't want it. Right. Uh, uh, I hate all of these arguments because I always feel like if Roe versus Wade existed since I think like what, 1969-ish, that it's like abortions are legal. Yeah, they can sit in whatever office and make whatever laws or like, you know, try to get them passed, but no one's going to pass them. And and that really comes down to because people like to make it a, um, oh, well, it's man versus woman. It's like, no, it's religious versus non-religious, you know, because in the Catholic world, birth control and abortions don't exist. But people like to act like, you know, Catholics don't really exist. And it's like, yeah, man, mm. that's a religious issue versus a non-religious. We like to act like religious people don't exist. Mm-hmm. And then opposite, you know, religious people like to act like non-religious people don't exist. No, so. no, no, no. Religious people overly acknowledge that non-religious people exist. <laughs> Maybe. They, don't, they don't act like they don't exist. They act, they act like they overly, they overemphasize the fact that they don't exist. That I, I get sick of it all because I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle just looking at both sides like, y'all don't see how y'all the same person? <laughs> you know? It's like, yo, you got some dude crying about, oh, you don't accept, you know, my way of life. And then you got a Christian person basically going, nah, accept my way of life. And it's like, well, y'all are the same. Neither one of y'all is refusing to acknowledge that, you know, the other person has a point. So that Mm -hmm. shit gets on my nerves. And like I said, every year with the silly abortion arguments that it's just like, ugh, this again. How long have abortions been legal? And then it comes down to a space issue because the South, you get down to Texas and stuff, it doesn't matter how many babies, but you get up into New York, it's like, yo, we got a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we might want to get rid of that third one. So it just comes down to space, but people like to make it mean more than that. Like, I don't know. Did you see any of the hype this week, or did you check out like J Cole's album? Yeah, J Cole's album's good. Um, I listened to it on the way back from. Um, was it on the way back or going down? Uh, I was going to a show. I was going to a show. I can't remember if I was on my way to DC or was it to another show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I checked it out. It was pretty good. It was real yeah, good. Yeah, I, I like him. You know. Just basically riding the theme of like, you know, you you made it, but you got to push on like that ain't the end, you know. Right, right, right. So many rappers now act like that's the end. Like a major difference somebody was pointing out to me to the rap game is like, yo, Biggie's first album, he was rapping still about being broke. Mm -hmm. And you get to these guys first albums now after all the mixtapes and whatever else is unofficial, the first album, they're talking about the price of fame, basically. Well, you got to understand it was totally different back with Biggie, though, because oh, now, now because of the internet, because of streaming platforms like SoundCloud and all of them, these rappers could, first of all, they're making royalty money, major royalty money, without a major label. They're not locked into 360 deals and shit like that. They're making money already. 
soon as they oh, shit drops. So everything they put out, they made money. So they're not they're not speaking the same struggle that artists of before was who was locked into these things with, with major record labels. Oh, so no, that's, well, that's what I'm why. saying is like the major difference is the first album, they're famous already, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas back in the day, your first album, you weren't famous. You were still kind of rhyming about the struggle and coming up and cash rules, everything around me. Now these niggas is like, you know, first album, they talking about how crazy the family done switched up on them and. You know, friends ain't friends no more. And it's like, damn, this is just, you know, it's an odd shit. Because at a point, you become like, well, shit, how do you even grade this shit? But I, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I like his theme of, you know, I made it, but I ain't made it. Meaning, like, I still got shit to prove. And I don't know. With him, he's one of them that's self-produced that I think I, I love. Probably 2014 Forest Hills Drive is probably my favorite album of the last 10 years. Right, mm-hmm. but I think he made that, and there's no features on that album, and he took so much pride in that. And I mean, you got to go back to, I don't know, damn near Illmatic or even Biggie's first album to get no features. Not even no features, because on Illmatic is uh, AZ, AZ's on there, and then even back to Biggie, uh, Method Man is I think the only feature on that album. Mm-hmm. So. But you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, it became so modern day and so whatever to just have mad features to the point that you go, it's a mixtape. It's not an album. album? Yeah. It's a mixtape. <laughs> it's not like an album. Right. right. But I feel like he almost took too much pride in that to where it's like, nigga, you can, you can put a few people on that joint. We ain't going to judge you. And also, he's a self producer, meaning he produces himself that I always listen to of like, okay, well, yeah, you had to at a point because no one else was going to make the beat. But, nigga, nobody calls you to make beats. So you're probably not that great at it. Like, you're decent at it. And you got yourself a classic in 2014 Forest Hills Drive. But, nigga, if you would work with Mike Will or work with anybody that's, you know, Metro Boom and somebody. So I, I like the album, but I'm like, dog, this, it's missing something to me. I think it's a, a good album. But I don't think it's great. And mm. even in KOD, his last album, it's like, but that's the thing about albums, right? It's like, it's all about if it stands to test the time. Like uh, KOD, he basically, what was the, I think KOD, the uh, acronym was Kids on Drugs. And he dropped that album. And then right after that, I think Mac Miller passed and Juice World passed, all these rappers pass from overdoses and it's like mm-hmm. y'all said this album was whack but this nigga's really trying to save people and y'all basically saying trying to save people is whack and it's you know you got fucking future out here like Percocet, Molly Percocet and that's what y'all rap listening to right but I but I always put rap and hip hop in the two different categories right like I always felt like hip hop was the positive trying to save people you know, there's some bars within it or whatever, but I always felt like rap was all the ignorant shit. Yeah, I used to think. Yeah, I was. I used to think the same thing, but that, but that was in a time. I used to think like that in a time when I was growing up, and you had the mainstream hip hop guys 
with the Bling Bling era back in the early to mid-2000s, and then you had Raucous Records, the Backpackers, Underground Rappers, who was more so about the culture and about the art form. But because things have been blended so much over the last 20 years, they're almost one and the same where an artist like, you know, uh, uh, J. Cole would do a song with a Juice World, or, or somebody like or Kendrick Lamar would do a song with, you know, they crossed those bridges maybe 15 years ago, where you had Talib Kweli doing songs with artists they normally wouldn't. Like, I think, I remember, Orcus Records put out a, a Lyricist Lounge 2 album where you had that. They had, you know, mainstream artists who, mainstream artists who wasn't, that's where you had, like, Styles P with Farrell Monch and, um, yeah. and somebody else, you know what I mean? It's like they, they tried to blend, uh, bridge the gap because they were trying to bring hip-hop, you know, in, in general. Yeah, and trying to bring together. some of the mainstream so you have more, rappers. Right, and then you had artists like Kanye, who was also that bridge for country right. rappers. like he and, said, and, I, you call him Quali or Quayley, I put them on songs with Jay-Z, like, yeah. Right, so you Get had them by the remix and Jay-Z being on there. And yeah. Right, it's almost like guys, you comics who we talk about, we, we talk about this often, where you have comics who do the black rooms and comics who do the mainstream. Comics who are out in the bars and comics who are out in the clubs. And you have those rare shows who can shit. do, but you have those rare gems who can do all of them. Right. You know what I'm saying? And you had those type of artists. So you have a lot more of those artists now, and J. Cole is one of those. J. Cole and Kendrick are, are some of them who could walk that fine line. Big Crit is another one who can walk that I love fine Crit. line. You have, one of you my have, favorites. Yeah. Uh, uh, this way. One of my favorite. I, I had to get back on that pit recently because I was like, mm-hmm. damn, they took him off title. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I got turned on to him late. I think I got turned on to him about maybe five years, maybe even longer than that, like five, six years yeah, ago. Yeah, Crit was here as another classic, and that was like seven, eight years ago, ten almost now. But, yeah, he he's a dope one. And then, yeah, you got rare few people that just kind of stay in their lane. But I, I like this album from Cole, but I'm also like, damn, nigga, you know, because you feel like, okay, Kendrick, right? If Kendrick's mm-hmm. got almost three or four classics now, I'll say three. But good kid, Mad City, he worked with Dre a lot. Uh, to Pimple Butterfly, he worked with Pharrell on All Right, different joints. And then uh, this latest one, he worked with Mike Will on Damn. And he's just like, damn, okay, but nigga, J. Cole, come on, man. Like, try to keep up. But Cole I think he is always- keeping up. I think he's keeping up in his own way. That's almost like like, um, I just did this pod with Jim Search and these guys, right? We was talking about yeah. this pod. And um, they got great podcasts, by the way. Uh, Swatches and Boombox. Yeah, shout so, out to them. Uh, Neil, Neil Charles and them guys. Right? Word up, man. Yeah, man. Dope-ass podcast. So, we were talking about hip-hop and stuff. And, like, that's like you comparing or saying that he need to keep up like him. It's like me looking at most Def and Talib Kweli. They both kill, but they kill in a both in their own way. Like Quali is a is an MC that most isn't. Most albums to most niggas would sound soft. But yeah, if you listen to you his know, album, but if you listen to his album, most is one of the first to sing. I'm sorry. Other than Andre three thousand, most is one of the first to sing. Yeah, but I mean, just the overall vibe of his album, the beats don't bang. Like, like if you listen to Black on Both Sides and you listen to Reflection Eternal's Train of Thought, right. most the average person who don't know about neither one of these artists was going to say Talib Kweli 
is 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 killing and is way better and most need to keep up. Because yeah. Talib is more of a fanfare type artist with the flow, the wordplay, yeah, the, you know, the fabric and whatever, and then the beats by high tech is just like banging, banging, banging. Yeah. Most his his beats are softer, more yeah, subtle, more jazz or whatever. And his and the way he goes about his business is a lot more matter of factly, a lot more conversational. Mm-hmm. But when you break it down, you like, yeah, Quali is ill as shit. But most yeah. is killing in his own right. It's almost like two, you know. It's almost like you know, you how uh, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali had two different fighting styles, but they but bring them together. They and they had a the perfect mean, style to make a classic fight. It's the same I thing. I guess what's similar to what you're saying is um, within comedy, there's the argument of comedian and comic, right? So mm-hmm. the way I always look at rap is there's an MC and then there's a rapper. Now, obviously, I feel like both Most and Quali would be MCs, whereas I feel like I feel like rappers always take the easiest way out. Like they say about electricity, right, is that it takes the easiest path to, path to the ground. Meaning if you're wearing metal, we taking that, you know what I mean? Down right. to the ground. And I feel like that's about rappers, you know. If I can fit a where the bitches, where the hoes at, or whatever, where the dope at, then I'll fit it right. in there. But the MC is always going to say, but nah, I got to say something on this hook. And it can't mm-hmm. just be the uh, run of the mill, you know, whatever the modern day is. So right. people like J. Cole, I hold to a higher standard. I see him as an MC. And you know where it really shows up at is in their concerts. Because you get a rapper out on the road and it's like, well, Miguel ain't here to do that hook. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now the concert, you're going, oh, oh, I guess the audience got to sing that part. So where Miguel now? Thanks. <laughs> Whereas you get an MC out, like I said, with Cole of like, there's no features. He did all the hooks. It's the whole show. So I just hold him to a bit of a higher standard. And like I said, with Kendrick, where... And I think that's the trick Jay-Z learned, you know, by bringing out Just Blaze. And as much as he gave us artists, Jay-Z, Jay-Z gave us producers. Mm. Just Blaze, uh, Ninth Wonder, Kit Kanye, obviously. All these different guys. I mean, even all the way back in the day to ski and, you know, different people that it's like, yeah, that's the thing, you know. If what mm-hmm. you're talking about don't change, then maybe the way that what you're talking about sounds should change. So we call mm-hmm. it, I feel like people got a little bored where it's like, I, I feel the same. Although, like I said, his albums, you got to give two or three years because KOD is like, yo, if you sad about Mac Miller, Juice World, and uh, what's the other young boy, oh, Famous Dex, that just checked into rehab. But like, don't try to pop up now and act like you sad that they going to rehab. You should have been listening when them niggas was- Mark Percocet, Molly Percocet. Right. But uh, other than that, man, uh, we got about 10 more minutes here, and I'll let you go. Uh, Wilder versus Fury number three. What you think, man? Prediction. Mm. I think it's going to be a better fight than the last one, but I think uh, Fury might get him because Fury's the more skilled fighter. Yeah, we kind of saw that last time. Wilder's got the look. The Wilder has this the thing. Wilder has devastating power. If he had learned how to, as they say, you know, to 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 traditionally box early in his career instead of mm-hmm. like 
getting over with overwhelming, you know, uh, he just overwhelmed his opponent. Overwhelming it's, power. Overwhelming, but he just overwhelmed him in general. Like, he was just wild. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, if he would have, like, learned to put combinations together and defense and all of it and, and do these things early on, because that's what, that that's the crazy thing. Like, Fury has skills as a boxer, but he doesn't have any, punch, like, he doesn't have, like, supreme punching power for a super heavyweight. Right, he, he, he had skills. He kind of jabbed him to death. He jabs, he jabs, he slips. He's very like slippery as he's a, got as a reach, as a, doesn't he? He's Lennox hell Lewis. Yeah. He's hey. Lennox Lewis, like he's bigger than Lennox. I think he's bigger than what Lennox Lewis was. That was the thing with Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis would jab your ass to death, bro. <laughs> Lennox Lewis was a ch- like Lennox Lewis was was crazy with it. Like he was bored. He was boring to watch, but the motherfucker was he was smart. Then he had he was, that accent that it's just like, oh, this dude's so boring, man. You know why? Because we were coming off of off of Tyson. Motherfuckers wanted another Tyson. Yeah, we and, wanted a massacre. Uh, we wanted somebody who, you know, who who just embodied all this rage and, and who was and Lennox, Lennox didn't have that. Yeah, Lennox didn't have that. Lennox didn't Lennox didn't have that. But Tyson came out of prison, a softer, kinder, you know, discovered the nation of Islam in prison. He was He's a little different, right? Nah, nah, nah. That motherfucker still was, yo. Know, Tyson was still he was raw, wild, bro. I mean, he listen, was still wilding, bro. He was, you know he, what he our wasn't, intro music? He was actually, he was actually more vocal. Is, is huh? Tyson? You know, my defense is impregnable. I want to eat your children. So right, right. But and he that's was more vocal after. back then. Yeah, he was more. Yeah, he was way more vocal after he got out of prison. Whew. Yeah, he 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 was a little cuckoo for Coco Puss. Well, yeah, you know what? You're right. He didn't say a whole lot. When he was managed by Custom Motto, and then once Don King got him, but like, yo, turn all that crazy shit loose. That that's yeah. Uh, I think that 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 did, but I think what happened was he got tired of. If I remember correctly from the documentary he did with not that Nas helped produce, was he got tired of the of the media constructing narratives about him. <laughs> and he Sound said, a lot hey, like Kwame Brown, don't it? Right, <laughs> yeah, the media constructing you know, narratives about him, his character, and how he... So he just leaned in. So I think he just... What happened was he... And I could be wrong, but he just leaned into being the villain. Gotcha. He, yeah, leaned, yeah, he leaned into he did, it. Didn't he? Yeah, it's like, if you're going to think this about me, then I'm going to be that. Like, that's right, like yeah, what yeah. we were talking about, what we were talking about last night, where you was like, yo, Ibrahim, you just go right at it, da-da. It's like I already understand that these people, that people, when they see me on stage, they have a perception about me. So it's like, why fight this perception? Why spend the first, if I got a five to ten minute set, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, why mm-hmm. spend the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes trying to give you other than what you've already, what, what you're already anticipating or what you already figure I am? Hmm. I'm going to give you what you think. Because I've seen so many, so many uh, uh, black male comedians do that. They, it's almost like they spend their, their five-minute set up, not apologizing, but trying to prove to the people or the white people in the room that I'm not what you think. Hmm. And it's like, me, I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to give you what you think I am. And then I'll circumvent your expectations somewhere along the line on the other part of the set. Gotcha. Well, see, it gets tricky for me because I always, and I mean, I'm getting older, like I said. I, I be looking at young comics like, nigga, I don't even understand what your goal of going up there was. Or like, I tell jokes. That's me. 
Right. And I look at a lot of younger comics are like, do you have jokes or you just go up here and say a bunch of opinions? Mm-hmm. And then I see a lot of people, if I'm being honest, a lot of black male comics too, trap themselves by that because they look at the white comedian and go, oh, well, he does that. And it's like, cool, but that's not really our standard. Martin told jokes. Eddie Griffin told jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I ain't even gonna name the cats that's on tour now. Of like, the white cats are like, yeah, he doesn't tell jokes. Cool, but I don't think that works for you. Of like, and and I feel like honestly, we were talking about Instagram comedians earlier. Of like, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. It's not no jokes. The personality it's hard to make, but it's a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. That is just after a while, like, cool, my nigga, but so do the person at the job. Now, what they can't do is tell you a joke, but what they can do is give you a bunch of opinions. So that's mm-hmm. why sometimes I see some of the younger black male comics on the scene, and I say, like, you know this thing is designed for you to tell jokes, right? And that I don't, I don't feel like that's a... Um, I don't feel like that's a, um, what's the word I'm looking like? I guess pandering or playing yourself soft. Now, there are people that I do hear that I go, nigga, really? We talking about yoga? Of like, oh, okay. (laughs) Clearly, you're trying to, you're wearing Vans. Clearly, you're trying to, you know, almost soften yourself up. But Right. I I don't feel like jokes are soft. I feel like jokes kind of fall in the in-between of like, a joke's a joke. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the standard. So, yeah, sometimes I I see a lot of younger comedians and I think like, well, <laughs> okay. You got a lot of opinions, kid. I, I ain't seen a joke yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes I say like, I say to you, or like, well, you know, cool. Say this or say that. I ain't against it. And also, a lot of the shit is funny, but it's like, you know, anyone can have an opinion. And I feel like comedy has veered almost too much into, yeah, here's my opinion. Which is like, that's for a podcast, but where's your jokes? That's like uh, earlier how we were talking about rapper and MC, right? Of like, I think it was Cosby that said, you know, the difference between a comedian and a comic. And a lot of people don't know the difference, you know. They'll say that, you know, a comic, a comic can go up in any room basically and kill and kind of adapt to his environment. Whereas a comedian kind of comes with a set. (laughs) And outside of that set, they can't do much. And I mean, I guess that's the um, guesstimation of his time, whereas I feel like now it's almost too much focus on being a comic, where it's like, oh, okay, but where's your set? And I mean, Mm. I feel ancient. (laughs) Like I said, I watch certain comedians now, I'm like, oh, that's the hot guy? That's the guy with all the deals? (laughs) Okay, that's cool. He ain't told a goddamn joke, but I... So, yeah, I don't know. I think people are more in, engaged with who people are as, as individuals, personalities, if you will. Hmm. And that's that's what they that's what a lot of what sells. 
is personality. But you can have, you can tell you, you can, I think, you know, a, a comedian is someone who can get, who can tell you a joke, but give you his opinion at the same time. So it's just not because you got joke, you got jokey joke motherfuckers, but after a while, jokey jokes is like, all right, I've heard the jokes, nigga. Who are you? Oh, like, no, who, exactly. like, like, who are you? Like, who is and you know, I, this and, and, person? And then it's like, because it, the same thing, you you know, the same thing you could say about that on one side, a nigga could get jokes out of a, you know, they could get jokes out of a, different books. You could buy at Barnes and Noble. Awful but it's like, I, you know, Fair but, it's like, but, where, but what about you? What about this person? Because people, you know, it's always a, it's always an evolution, especially if you see of a lot of the greats. Like if you look at Carlin's evolution, Carlin was a jokey joke. He was, right. a, com- he was a comic. Then he went from being a comic who just told jokes and did impressions. to then he became a comedian when he started making social commentary with his material, but he was also doing jokes, you, you know, with, and it's right. done in a humorous way, so he was a comedian slash humorous. Then the older he got, he became more of a satirist. Where he and just, damn near a with, philosopher. Right, but it's um, like he evolved. Chris Rock is on that same trajectory. Dave Chappelle is right in that same Yeah, thing. Chappelle is, yeah, Chappelle is right man, there. Like, just so, watching, like, motherfucking just talk. <laughs> yeah, so I hear what you're saying. Like you have younger comedians who go past the joke writing aspect okay. and go right into wanting to be a comedian, but it's like, um, but that comes with years of perspective. Well, per years of whatever so, logic, I would say they're actually being comics, meaning they're going up and kind of adapting to the room. Meaning, like even when I did the mic yesterday, like who's is, who's know, adapting? Who's adapting to the room? Who you the comic? Because the comic, always definition of a comic that from the older generation was they're adapting to the room, meaning they kind of take on the personality of the room and they they play to the room, basically, whereas Mm -hmm. the comedian has a set. So I said all that to say, per what you're saying, I would agree. The issue I think I have with it almost as an older motherfucker in the game now is like, yeah, but a motherfucker with a a motherfucker with a set can always put the set down. Now, granted, there's a lot of people that don't have the confidence to do. That's another subject. But mostly, you can put your set down. So what I'm seeing now, I feel like, is a lot of comics that they don't have the gear to even be a comedian. There is no set. There's playing to the room, and then there, you know, like I said, with a lot of Instagram guys, uh, I think. Bill Burr defined it as they're playing home games as opposed right. to away games. So right. basically, the job used to be you played a bunch of away games to the point where it didn't matter. You could turn any away game to a home game, which is right. kind of what I've experienced here being in New York eight years. Of like mm-hmm. My skill level now, I don't give a fuck where you put me. We'll flip this shit to a home game. These right. guys that are coming up via Instagram or whatever else, they're playing only to their audience to where once they get outside of their audience, people are going, but I don't fucking get it. Meaning they they don't have a base skill level set of jokes. Right. To even but, turn the crowd. True. They're, they're, they're like a great example is uh, Mitch Hedberg in his first Comedy Central special. He said one. They said one of the problems with the special early on was that they got a bunch of people to sit in the audience who didn't know who Mitch Hedberg was, mm-hmm. and then he literally had to spend the entire 
special getting the people to understand his process. Right. And then they went by the time they by the time they got on, it, the thing became a classic. But all before that they didn't know. But that's what you know, my thing is a comedian goes into a room, a comedian goes into a room, he knows who he is, and his job is to brainwash the audience to become part of his cult. To win them over. You know what I'm saying? No, nah, I don't even say win them over. Because I think the attitude you go in you go into that room with is that I don't care if I win them over. And I mean listen. I you know what I mean? They're no, gonna they're gonna I, get I can't with me say no on board. But mm-hmm. certain comedians have even gone as far as to remove the crowd from their specials. <laughs> remove the crowd from the special. Oh, 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 yeah. That that's the barometer. And see what I'm saying? Of and I mean, I only said that, and obviously, I am basically. I might as well say his name because within that, I'm revealing who it is, but. You know, to me, that was sacrilegious. So like, and if I'm being honest, I've seen the same comic all over being like, yeah, you know, they don't get me and, and, and I'm above them. And it's like, bro, your job is for them to get you, not for them. Your job is for them to get you, not for you to get them of like, you know, you're doing this opposite. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> You acting as if you paid to talk to them, but really they paid to hear you. So your job is to make them get you. Mm-hmm. Not to stand up here and go, they don't get me. Well, nigga, that's your job. So, I mean, what the hell? We were talking about MCs and rappers, and I mean, you know, MC literally stands for move the crowd of. That's the job. Right. Well, Master <laughs> so, ceremony, yeah. Back to masters of ceremony, move MC means move the crowd, all of that is there. Mm-hmm. Of like, yeah, so a lot of people, you know, yeah, it's like being a comedian, being a comic. Whereas, like I said, I feel like the comedian can always kind of put down the set and play with the audience. Now, we all know there are some who are too serious and too locked in to do that, but mostly I would say you could put that down and do that. Whereas I see now a lot of people where it's like, man, I don't even think you can, do you even have jokes? <laughs> your plan is to come here and fuck around or to remove the audience as if you're some sort of higher form. Uh, but whatever, I got to get you up off of here. So Wilder versus Fury, you said you said you're going with Fury? Yeah, as much as I don't want to do it, I think I think Fury's gonna get him again because he's going with the white more, man and his technique, yeah, his skill, his skill level. I, is, I know Wilder couldn't have slept well since that motherfucker Fury licked his neck. That shit is. <laughs> yeah, <that> shit's <laughs> so I hope if our man gotta go down again, he don't let homeboy lick his neck, man. You right. you gotta avenge that, man. And and did anyone ever try to make Fury explain like what what part of the game was that? And men, mental games, more than likely, licking his blood and shit off him is shit is crazy. It's the weirdest shit getting, I've seen yeah. since uh, Tyson bit Holyfield. That's either. that gypsy witchcraft ass shit. But you know, nobody ain't talking about the white man doing that shit the way they <laughs> talked about Tyson biting his Holyfield's ears. So. Yeah, people kind of let that go, but I can't. That's like Adam Morrison and Kwame mind. Brown. Yeah, and then I ask you real quick before we go. The, you see the Mayweather and uh, what is it, Logan Paul? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 
Jake Paul, you 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 definitely feel like he getting a beat down, right? Uh, yeah, but you know what, man? Uh, stranger things have happened, man. Mayweather fuck around, come back and get knocked out by some YouTuber. Yeah, <laughs> that should be being crazy. That should be because that motherfucker way taller than Mayweather, yo. Is he? He's a, he's a lot taller than him, and he's he's a lot bigger than him. Hmm. So it's, it's like you know, boxing, man. All it takes is one. Right. And sometimes we, yeah. Sometimes, man, ignorance is bliss to motherfuckers. Like they don't, they don't know not to, you know, to be with, not uh, to be afraid, not to be afraid. You know, to, they don't know to be afraid. I watched, I watched uh, Canelo watch out, knock out old boy, and it's like, God damn, Canelo's mean. But then you go, who's his only loss? Mayweather. Mayweather, yeah. And Mayweather danced around that motherfucker beautifully. Yeah, but he not, but that kid ain't, that, that dude, Canelo ain't as big as this fucking kid who's who's ignorant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, I like, feel a little bit like, like, con- like these YouTube boxes are a lot like what we saw about a comedian versus comic. Uh, <laughs> they the comic with no set list. Uh, what's going on out there? They don't know to, re- they don't know to respect <laughs> the pro that there's a process that they need to respect. Hey, like, but just as and, and you can fuck around and end up winning. Right, just as we were saying, they fuck around headline clubs. The next thing you know, they talking about let's take the audience off my special. So it is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I I I think Mayweather's definitely going the alternate route. I don't think Homeboy will hit him more than probably five six times, and that's with Mayweather allowing himself to be hit, kind of like he did with McGregor, but mm-hmm. ultimately, I think Mayweather will win. And this is a I lot better. Than letting his brains brains get bashed in like a lot of older fighters in our time did. Listen, the last great fighter, black fighter that came out of retirement to fight some white boy was Bernard Hopkins, and it did not end well. Was he the one knocked through the ropes? Knocked out the ring. Yeah, Bernard Hopkins got knocked out the ring. Uh, It was bad. Yeah, it was ugly. So, so yeah, so Mayweather coming back. Look, I hope he. This is the only fight. That I hope Mayweather wins. Mm. I've never, I haven't been a Mayweather fan majority of his career. I hope he wins this fight because if he gets knocked out by this kid, it's not going to be a good look. Yeah, I don't think he will because if no one, if a real fighter could, dude, touch him, he's over. What is what is Mayweather over forty right now? Yeah, but kid is in twenty. That Logan Paul, kid, really oh, not, bro, bro, I get all that, but a broke ass clock is right twice a year, yo. I hear you, but I feel like this Logan Paul it's clock scary, is right it's, once a day. Bro, it's scary. It's some scary shit. I'm, I'm not even going to front you. I'm not even going to hold you. I know people big on TME, and they thinking of Mayweather of years before, but Mayweather is almost a – is shorter than this guy considerably, smaller than this guy considerably, way older than this guy considerably. But a and real boxer. He is a real boxer, but b- real boxers get old, bro, and they get <laughs> real. Right. Bo- look, man, real boxers get old. Other real shit. boxers, bro, bro. Listen, May- Bernard Hopkins got knocked out of a ring by a guy who was who is nowhere near his class, a fighter. Got you. Well, yeah, B. Hop is what, like forty five? He was forty six when that happened. Got you. So it's like, yeah, bro, bro you're doing too much. He's a great fighter, but his skill, your skills diminish, and you got to understand too. That's almost like a, 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 like that's almost like a guy 
who ran track his whole life, right? Yes, yeah. the body is willing. The spirit of it is there. But he will get smoked by somebody that's considerably younger than him. Yeah, your time. <laughs> Who's running. Yo, your fat. muscles in your body does not respond the way you think they did when they were younger. Look at, look at Muhammad Ali. He lost to Leon Spinks in Leon Spinks' third professional fight after right. the Olympics. Like Muhammad Ali, time. who was a, the greatest of all time, fought Leon Spinks, and Leon Spinks beat him for the heavyweight title. So what and I'm saying Spinks is... was a badass until Tyson. No, that was Michael Spinks. There's two different Spinks. Ah, fuck. two different Spinks. Leon was one, and then Michael was the other. But Lee, but what I'm saying is for the championship. Yeah, no, he beat Michael Spinks for the for the lineal. He beat he beat Michael Spinks for the lineal belt, the lineal championship. Gotcha. So, um, what I'm saying is, look, I hope Mayweather beats this kid. Mayweather, I'll say that. I hope so. I hope so. Real fight. He is a real fighter, but he's also an aged professional fighter. He doesn't have the resume or the know-how to even be afraid. That's what makes him dangerous. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) Canelo got in a fight with him and and had to respect him because Canelo is a fighter. He understands speed. He understands counterpunches. And and Mayweather was separation. Eight years younger. Who is who is eight years younger? Yeah, when he's eight years younger than he is now. Yeah, when Canelo and him fought. exactly. Mayweather is getting in the ring with an ignorant, arrogant white kid who is a former athlete. Yeah, and you got Chet Hanks talking about white boy summer. So they they, they, they knocking black him knocking out, out Floyd Mayweather would be the, the top of of that would be the kickoff to white boy summer. Yeah, hopefully you even know what the fuck to do. Hopefully Logan Paul doesn't get that that L or that win, and hopefully it's certain not at that. Could you happens. imagine? Could if you imagine? Fury doesn't beat uh, could, Wilder. Could you imagine this motherfucker goes fifty and zero against professional fighters and one? You know, and forty nine and zero, and then fifty and zero with one win against an MMA fighter. He loses <laughs> to a YouTube guy. Yeah, Bro, nothing would make sense in the world anymore. We're gonna the way twenty 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 one has been with this pandemic and the fucking bro, it will be crazy. So I hope this is the only fight. I hope Mayweather wins because we ain't shit ain't been right since Wilder lost the Fury. That was during Black History Month. And like yeah. I told you, it wasn't for me that he got knocked out. It was that he got his bloody neck licked and like just laid there on the ground. And it's like, man, one of yeah. your homeboys should have jumped into something at that point. But yeah. let's get the hell out of here. Go ahead, plug uh, plug the album one more time. Name where they can find it and your uh, social media or shows. Yeah, social media, Ibrahim Khalif. Uh, it's I-B-R-A-H-I-M-K-H-A-L-I-F. Ibrahim Khalif 83 on Twitter. Uh, the album is called Placebo, uh, P-L-A-C-E-B-O. It's on all streaming platforms everywhere. Premiered at number one on the iTunes comedy uh, comedy charts. And uh, yeah, man. Till Paul Mooney passed. R.I.P. Paul Mooney. Uh, yeah, Paul Mooney knocked that. Y'all know where to find me at. I am Phil Hunt. Uh, that's it. That's all. Like, share, subscribe. Thanks for listening. Later. <laughs>